Coming up on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we catch up with Collingwood VFLW captain Jess Edwards. Geelong's Izzy Carenti. We preview the USAFL season with Brian Barish. And our State League's wrap with Matthew Cox, Lauren Hodgson and Aaron Russell. That's all coming up over the next two hours. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. A friendly reminder, you can listen to this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne or via the RSN Racing and Sport app. And also follow us on social media. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash WARF radio or twitter.com WARF radio. This week, our RSN Carnival VFL Women's Match of the Day will be Collingwood versus Geelong at Olympic Park Oval in Melbourne. Bounce down 2.30pm Sunday the 13th of May. We'll be on air from 2pm with our pre-game show. And it's great to have on the line the captain of the Collingwood VFLW team in Jess Edwards. Jess Thanks for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football. How are you? Good, thank you. It's great to be on here. Great to have you back again. A lot has happened over the last 12 months. The last time we spoke to you, I believe it was right about the start of the uh, Sanford W season and on debut, making the grand final. Yeah, it was a great experience. Um, we got to meet the first grand final for the Sanford against Nord. Unfortunately, we didn't get the win on the day. Um, but it was great to be involved in that and uh, the experience and what the sample's doing now is fantastic. During those uh, few months afterwards, you went back to playing in what's now known as the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 competition and you played at Adelaide University who swept all before them and to take the flag. Can you tell us what the feeling was like around the Adelaide Uni Camp last year? Because Morfordville had been dominating uh, that league for years to be the top dog and, and sweep aside the competition. Yeah, it was great. We um, we uh, picked up a new coach called Chrissy Steen, and obviously you've spoken to her previously as well. And um, we had some uh, new recruits into the team, but we had um, started building our club from the previous year before that first time in our Division One, and we had some great girls go through um, the sample program, and they came back to Adelaide Uni, and so we were just ready to basically start from to start from bang go and um our first game we ended up winning by quite a few points and just as it went on and on our structures came into place and we formed really well as a team. It was fantastic to be honest, great to be a part of and the development that the girls got there I think has set a really great um uh, for the girls that got drafted from our team basically set them really well for the AFLW. There's two names to bring out of that. The first one you did mention is Chrissy Steen. We've had her a number of times on the program. From a player's point of view what stands out to you about Chrissy's coaching? Uh, she basically throws you into the deep end. It's fantastic. Um, so it's just she's all about you've got to do it like this way and um, the structure that she implements into the game and the knowledge that she brings to the game for the girls um, is great for all of us really and something we haven't some of us have not experienced before and uh, I, a lot of us just trusted her and went with that and that's what you've got to do with a coach. So. And another name I mentioned, Chrissy's partner, Courtney Gum, who you got to play alongside with. And may I say as well, injured herself in the warm-up for the grand final and still kicked seven goals. Yeah, I know. She's, oh gosh, she's phenomenal, isn't she, really? You know, AFLW, Weston Ferris, and oh, she's fantastic to be a part of um, a playing group with her. And having her alongside of me taught me so much. And she just makes you want to be a better player in every way. 
So it was a great experience for her and what she's achieved in the last year is fantastic for us as a club and her individually. And that, and that does remind me, when you've got a player like the calibre of a Courtney Gum, how do you pick their brains? How do you try and get as much knowledge out of them or observe them to add that and to incorporate that into your preparation and your game? Yeah, I was lucky enough to lucky enough, but I was lucky enough to actually play on Courtney Gum in a few of the games. I had to mm-hmm. tag her as a player and I just followed her around. It was fantastic to see what she did, what she thought about where she placed herself and then to play alongside her in the midfield or if she plays forward, um, she just directs really well and her, the way that she uses her language and her tone and voice in the game is something that I really aspire to. Um, so I basically just pick her brain afterwards or during the game, she'll explain to you why she thinks she should have done this in a certain way. And that's all you can really do at the, at the time and the moment of the game. But yeah, watching footage, we were lucky enough to have footage. Uh, lucky enough to have footage. So we got to go over that as well. So that was great. Now, after uh, the Sanford W season and as you were coming to an end in the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 season, you were starting to think about the future, particularly for AFLW that you wanted to be drafted. Um, before you end up in Victoria, did you actually have the, a chance to have a conversation with the Crows to, I guess, guess where you were at if you were going to be in their picture for being drafted or if you were being encouraged to look elsewhere? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough to be a part of their top-up squad. Uh, for their first year for the Crows. And then, um, yeah, I guess I had a conversation with them about that. And unfortunately for me, there's not a player that they're looking at. So, yeah, um, they were very comfortable with saying to me, you know, you need to go look elsewhere. And that's what I did. So that's how I've ended up in Melbourne and ended up at Collingwood. The Collingwood Football Club, one of the most famous names going around. Uh, obviously, a lot of girls wanted to put their hand up to play at the Magpies to wear the black and white stripes. How did you end up getting there in the first place? If I'm correct, you end up sending some type of demo footage to them. Uh, yeah, Chrissy put some um, footage together and helped us put some footage together to some of the scouts. And um, my, I, one of them was clubs I sent to was Collingwood. And um, I had a conversation with Wayne um, previous to the draft. And um, obviously I wasn't successful. And he said to me, we've got to come and try it for the VFL. And, I was in two minds about where I really wanted to be and obviously moved my life over. And um, I came over for the trials and ended up being successful. And I guess that's where it's led to there. And um, I recommend girls to send out footage of themselves if they can to clubs and try and sell themselves as much as they can. You know, sometimes you can be successful, sometimes you can't. So I was lucky. As you said, you had to pick up your life to move from Adelaide to Melbourne. Can you let everyone know, what did you actually have to leave behind in Adelaide? Were you studying or working at the time? And have you been able to pick that up easily when you've moved to Melbourne? Yeah, it's definitely difficult. I'm obviously further along in my career than other people are if you're 18. So um, I left a full-time job. I was a special needs teacher at that point of time. Um, And so I left my class behind. And I left my family and my partner behind. They're all very supportive, though. But, um, yeah, I've left them all behind and now living with people from Adelaide, uh, who are two of my friends. Um, I'm just working CRT at the moment, but maybe looking for a full-time job, depending on how everything goes. And uh, very hard. <laughs> and as we mentioned, it's not the only time that you've done it. Of course, you did it uh, a few years ago when you went to London and played with the Wandsworth Demons. Yeah, that was, that was different, I guess. Like, I really wanted – like, that was something, obviously, it was – like go away, have some fun sort of thing. So that was one of the amazing experiences, obviously, when my football career started in Wandsworth Demons. So I have lots of thanks for them. 
Um, but yeah, definitely different this time. I'm still looking that I want to further my career along uh, as a teacher, and I definitely still want to further my career along as a football player. So just trying to balance those two out at the same time. As you mentioned, you were part of the Crows train on squad, and of course now you're at Collingwood uh, VFLW. Have you noticed any similarities or complete difference in style in the amount of hours and intensity that you train to prepare yourself for match day? No, um, I definitely think that both teams, um, and I would say this across the board really, to be honest with all the AFLW teams, that the girls train really hard and lots of hours. And uh, I guess something that probably needs to be aware is just the well-being of each player. Um, they're expected to do a lot and still have careers. And I think that's something that, maybe in the future needs to be looked at if the standard wants to increase. So I just see the girls working extremely hard for personally to be the best player they can be for the public and obviously for their team. And it's inspiring to be around that. And that's, I guess, why I want to be at that next level. I love the eliteness that they all bring. We asked Lisa Williams, the Essendon captain, uh, this question last week, and I'll ask the same to you. And it's probably even more difficult for you because you've moved from Adelaide to Melbourne. Um, how does it feel coming into a, a season where you don't really know the opposition? There's no, I guess, vision to go back to because it's all new teams in this VFLW. How hard is it to try and plan and prepare when you're not 100% sure of what you're actually coming up against? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I guess personally for me, I've just come through from the sample, which for the last two years we've been building that um, league up and every team that we played, we never knew what they were going to come up against. So for personally, I've already had experience with that. I believe that you just play the team that you have to play on the day. Um, and hopefully, you know, you'll just change your plans as you go along through the quarters. Um, so for me personally, it's not too much of a change. But I guess for the other girls, yeah, and for our coaching panel, it's extremely hard. And you try and do matchups on the day is who you can and who will be in on there when you know on the Wednesday. Um, but yeah, extremely hard and difficult, um, but exciting too, like, it's great. It means every game you need to go hard at the ball and you need to go hard at um, how we play as a game. You mentioned Chrissy Steen's name earlier, who, of course, is an experienced and revered coach. Now you're at Collingwood under Penny Kula-Reed, who was obviously a revered footballer for all her time at the St Kilda Sharks and played one AFLW season for Collingwood. This is her first year as a coach. She is a rookie coach. Um, what have you noticed so far about her coaching style? Yeah, Penny's done really well to um, adapt to this, uh, like a more of an elite level, I guess. And um, she's done really well. She keeps it really clear for the girls. I believe that her communication to the girls has been fantastic. She's really trying to, as become from a player, she's had past experience with that. Um, and she's definitely trying to develop herself in that communication-wise. And I think that's what I've really noticed, that she's able to explain things to the girls in the way that she had wanted to explain to the player. Um, and that's something that she brings to the team that's really great so far and yeah, we're all building, we're all learning together, and I think that's what's really great about the Collingwood BFL at the moment. And what does it mean for you personally to, after having the title of captain at North Adelaide, to now, a second year in a row, earn a captain's title again, this time at the Collingwood Football Club? <laughs> yeah, very honoured. I get Very honoured. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, a good learning experience. I thought I would just be coming over here to actually just play the game and not have to have that title as a captain again and really focus on my playing ability. And I guess I'm very fortunate to be put in that role again. I've got plenty of support at Collingwood to make sure that I'm still focusing on both those things to be successful at both of them. Um, so I'm very lucky in that way. And I feel more prepared this time to be the captain. And um, yeah, it's been great. 
Does it seem a little bit surreal that you're running around in the black and white stripes as a captain uh, last week against uh, Weemstown at Oakley and occasionally running you water as just one of those, you know, star champion players in Chloe Malloy? <laughs> Yeah, it's a, yeah, it is definitely. You know, I aspire to be these girls um, as a player, and now I get to play alongside them, and they're part of my leadership group. And yeah, it's amazing. I, I don't really have words for that. Um, I guess I just try and keep a level head about it and pick their brains as much as I can. They're fantastic, though. And after we saw a photo of her carrying water, I think the hashtag started trending Malloy's Hydration Station. Um, looking back at that game against Williamstown, one from one, you got the first win on the board. Uh, pros and cons out of that game. Uh, what do you think worked well for you in the win? And what's some of the things you think you still need to improve on as a team as you go into round two against Geelong? Yeah, I thought that we um, definitely went hard at the ball majority of the time. And I think that when we moved the ball quickly, we moved it quite well. Um, I think that we need to work on being clean as a team. And I think that we probably need to uh, just understand when we need to use the handballs and when we need to use our kicks moving forward, I think, that um, probably structurally-wise. Um, but it, I think there's lots to take from the game, pros and cons. We went through some of the stuff last night. So just moving forward, I think we're going to try and work on make sure that we're going to be cleaner with the ball and making sure that we're just protecting each other a bit more. Well, Jess, thank you very much for joining us here again at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best throughout season 2018 with the Collingwood Magpies and the VFLW. Thank you so much for having me. As mentioned at the top of the interview, Jess did play for the Wandsworth Demons in the AFL London Women's League. So let's continue that theme. Collingwood, of course, playing Geelong this weekend at Olympic Park Oval. A member of the Cats is Izzy Carenti. Izzy, in fact, played two and a half seasons for the Wimbledon Hawks in the AFL London's Women's League. And it's great to have her on the line now. Izzy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's a privilege to have you on the line. And as we're mentioning about the name Kate Shearlaw, she found Aussie Rules Football over in London. Despite being an Aussie, she played her first game over there. I believe the story was similar for you. You didn't pick up the footy until you went over to the UK. No, that's correct. I didn't I didn't even know women played um, the game, so I was pretty happy to fall upon it. And I was walking through Clapham Common in London um, the year before Kate, and then Kate joined the next year, and we were pretty happy being alongside each other playing at Wimbledon. Did you come to the game like a duck to water? Was it easy for you, or, or, or did it take a while to get used to uh, playing with the oval ball? Um, yeah, well, I grew up in Sydney, which was more of a rugby ball I grew up with. Um, so it did take a while. I wasn't sure how to kick it, and obviously still learning the game, but it was pretty fun just to get in, involved. Being in London, where it's a bit more social, was a good way to start. It turned out being a very good year for you in 2015. In fact, you won the uh, best and fairest at the Wimbledon Hawks. I did. I was um, very happy to win that and did the season in my runners, which was pretty interesting. I wouldn't do that again. (laughs) (laughs) So safe to say you've got footy boots now for when you're running around for Geelong. I do. I do. I've I've purchased my second pair, actually, so it helps a lot. Now, you've actually been uh, playing with the Hawks in the London competition for, for two and a half seasons, and you've obviously seen the rapid growth, not only just in the number of teams that are playing now in that competition, but how have you seen the standard of football rise throughout those two and a half years in London? Yeah, it's definitely um, um, improving the standard, just getting more people interested. I've even had people move over there who've seen photos of me playing, and they've contacted me 
being a bit scared at first to join, but I've just said give it a go. You know, it's also good for the social side to meet people living over there. Um, yeah, just a great way to get involved and sort of start that footy footy career for some. Now, after obviously joining the Wimbledon Hawks, as we mentioned, Kate Shearlaw joined uh, for the 2016 season. But also there at that time was another AFLW footballer be recruited by the Bulldogs in Lauren Spark. We spoke to Sparky a couple of years ago where she talked about playing and then she essentially did some of the coaching there with the training drills. Uh, how vital was that to have someone with Sparky's experience there at the Wimbledon Hawks to be able to, I guess, train you not only obviously in skills but in game structure? Oh, it was really beneficial. It was really good having her that first year um, sort of when we started and then she went home, which we were a bit upset about, but Lucky came back for the next season and just drills, um, showing us what she's learnt at her trainings in Melbourne just really helped helped us definitely, just having that knowledge. You played against some great sides there, Wandsworth Demons, North London Lions, uh, for example, South East London Giants. Just, just from your humble perspective, who are some of the best British players that you played against, some of their homegrown natural talent with and against? Um, I only really know um, the players from my team. Um, we've got a few English players like um, Jen Ben. She was sort of in charge of the team as well as Lisa Wilson, who's now playing in Germany, actually, um, which is great. She's growing that sport. Um, over there, which I know she's loving, and especially getting um, children involved. Um, I think Lisa and Sparky actually started a um, Clapham Club, uh, Cubs, I think it was called, on the Clapham Common, which involved um, children um, getting involved in the footy at a younger age, starting them early over there, which was really good to see. Now, as you mentioned, you grew up in Sydney with the rugby ball, but obviously you're here now in Melbourne. What led you to choose to come from London to Melbourne? Um, I went to school down in Geelong, which um, helps um, now playing for Geelong. I'm pretty happy wearing those colours. Um, and then I just decided to come back to Melbourne after my time in London, which was a pretty easy decision. And luckily fell upon footy again, which was great. You said you love Geelong. You're now obviously wearing the hoops. How did the decision come about to join Geelong in the VFLW? Because originally when you came back, you actually played half a season last year with uh, Melbourne Uni, and obviously Melbourne Uni is still in the competition. What what led to the call to to go down the highway and play at Cadinia Park? Um, I think also because uh, I went to school down there, it sort of meant a bit more being a part of that team. But I um, went along to the tryout day and after five and a half um, months of pre-season, just went from there and was um, lucky enough to be a part of the squad now. And it sort of just goes from there, being selected each week to play in the in the big games. And, and what does it mean for you personally to be wearing the hoops like on Sunday and actually running out on to Cadinia Park proper, GMHBA Stadium for the first time. Uh, it was it was pretty cool. I was I was quite happy being selected for round one. It quite meant a lot, um, just because I'd obviously done my last years of school in Geelong and been to quite a few Geelong games. My friends all go for Geelong. Um, it was just quite special. It's quite a nice family feel down there. The girls are great, and we all just. So get along so well that it, it is like a family. So it's quite special running out with them.
on the weekend. You were named to begin on the interchange bench. Um, where did um, where did Paul end up throwing you into play? Uh, um, they're giving me a go on the wing. I don't mind running, so using that speed along the wing, which is which is great fun. And you got a couple of possessions there as well, which was great to see. Cats as well had a bit of a slow start, didn't you, out of the blocks? It probably wasn't until half time that you finally broke clear of the muggers. Yeah, I think um started off a bit scrappy, but I think that usually happens in round one. We definitely improving after we had three practice matches and by the third practice match we're definitely playing better as a team and I think it'll just take a few games for us to um come together and work out strengths of everyone and how to use the ball and play play well together. Everyone's their own uh, best critic. So uh, in that case, looking back at your game that you played on the weekend and and obviously through the practice matches as well, what do you believe that you need to work on, not only to become a better VFLW footballer, but perhaps at one stage being able to throw your hat in the ring for the AFLW draft? I think I'm still like quite feel quite fresh to this, this sport. I just... I've watched a lot of um, lot of footy, but it's more now playing. I just need to learn how to play and learn my role with the team and where to position myself. And just getting that experience and confidence um, will really help. But the coaches are so great. Um, I'm learning heaps already. And just watching the footage after every game really helps in going through that and seeing how, where to improve. Um, yeah, so I can't wait to learn. It's It's, it's very exciting. How does it feel taking on such a revered uh, football club as Collingwood uh, this weekend at Olympic Park Oval? <laughs> I haven't heard too much yet, but, um, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. I mean, I knew half the girls on the weekend at the Muggers obviously played with them last year, so we'll be very different now. I don't know any of the Collingwood girls. Um, see, I'm not sure. We'll see. It's going to be raining as well, so it'll be completely different to last weekend in the beautiful sun at the stadium. And finally, just before we let you go, as you were heading to training on uh, Tuesday night, um, the news had broke that um, Geelong for the AFLW list had signed four players, three of them VFLW footballers. Erin Hoare had her start there last year, Rochelle Cranston, Anna Teague as well. And you managed to get the big signing in Melissa Hickey, who is going to be at Geelong for season 2019. What does that mean to even just the VFLW list players to know that these individuals, including Melissa coming into uh, AFLW, are going to be at your club, around your club, part of your atmosphere, even if it's off the field, not on the field? Um, Yeah, we sort of spoke about it last night and everyone's really excited and on board with it. I mean, the, obviously the DeLong girls have been at training since the AFL season has been over, um, just showing their faces. And it's really been good getting to know them. Even if they did miss out in the first few months of um, pre-season, they've come in and everyone just gets along so well. And I think that also helped, I believe, um, Mel Hickey's um, decision to come down to the Cats. She just heard about um, how good of an atmosphere it is and the coaching and just how it is, I've mentioned how it is quite a family. I think that really helped um, her decision to come down. So, yeah, we're all looking really forward to it. Can't wait. Well, Izzy, thank you very much again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the best throughout the remainder of the 2018 Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Season. Thanks very much, Pete. Thanks for having me.
Time for our State League's wrap. Let's find out what happened over the weekend in the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition where round one was played. And it's great to have on the line our lead caller here at RSN Carnival in Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Very well, Pete. Very well. Great weekend of footy to kick off the 2018 VFL Women's season. A couple of upset results um, to what we predicted last week. So uh, looking forward to dissecting it. Just want to hit you with some quick news between the eyes straight up because we know Casey Demons had the bye, so they didn't play in round one. We knew three weeks before the season started that their coach, Colin Garland, uh, resigned for personal reasons and has returned to Tasmania. They have just announced today the replacement coach at Casey Demons will be former Carlton AFLW head coach Damien Keeping. Mm. Big news, massive news, um, and a, a little turnaround for uh, Damien after uh, resigning or walking away from the Carlton position, um, ending up at Casey Fields. Don't mind it. I think um, after a couple of years in the Carlton system, uh, a, a break away from that and a new club essentially being, of course, Casey with the alignment with Melbourne, so being in that structure, looking forward to seeing how he goes with the Casey Demons because he do does have a number of stars at his disposal in that side. Talking about his old club, Carlton, they opened up the season with the opening game of round one against the Southern Saints down there in Frankston and were comfortable 9-5-59 to 5-7-37 winners. Yeah, understand that there was quite a breeze down at uh, Skybus Stadium on Saturday and uh, did no no favours to either club. 5-3 in the opening quarter to nothing in favour of Carlton and that basically set up their victory. They didn't kick a uh, goal after three-quarter time. Obviously, the, the Southern Saints had the win after that. But uh, Darcy Bessio clearly leading uh, on the scoreboard. Three goals to her and uh, Sarah Hosking also chipping in with one as well. And I believe uh, a fairly handy tackle count just uh, scrolling through the stats here uh 10 tackles on the weekend as well 15 disposals for sarah hosking looking at the second game that was played 12 p.m down at uh, i think preston city oval if i'm right um nt thunder uh 12 14 86 uh, accounting for the reigning premiers darabin 5 2 32 yeah, we suggested that this might be the result. Obviously, last week uh, during the preview, we mentioned how the Crows uh, have a number of players in the Northern Territory Thunder side and just that they'd probably be a little uh, more close-knit and more efficient with the football compared to Darabin, which we know have been stripped of uh, their talent during the off-season. Uh, but uh, again, it was the, the opening quarter that really got things going for the NT Thunder. And then they slammed on three goals in the final term as well to help them get over the line. The inside 50 count was the big statistic from this match that's caught my eye. 52 inside 50s for the Northern Territory to just 16 for the Darabin Falcons, which to me, suggests that their midfield isn't clearing the ball uh, as efficiently as what it was when they had the likes of O'Day, Paxman, Hickey, Pierce running through the middle. There's obviously two of those players still on the Darabin list, but that they'll be managed throughout the season. Uh, Tyndall popped up with two goals for the Darabin Falcons, probably one of their only highlights of the afternoon. 
Two former St Kilda Sharks teammates going head-to-head as coaches. Penny Kula-Reed now as coach of Collingwood. Amy Catterall now coach of the Williamstown Seagulls. And Penny got the chocolates on Saturday afternoon. Her Magpie 7-8-50 defeating the Williamstown Seagulls 4-8-32. Yeah, one of the surprises of the round for me. I thought Williamstown might have just had the edge over Collingwood, but... Uh, not to be. Collingwood, an impressive performance first up at Warrawee Park. It was a mouthful to get out down in Oakley. Uh, two goals to, to Fowler and Lambert, whilst uh, it was just all single goal kickers for Williamstown on the weekend. Paterno, Harris, Duffin and Lowe, the goal kickers. And again, it was the inside 50 count that was the big difference, 38-18. to 18, And the tackles, surprisingly, were in the favour of Collingwood. To me, that suggests that they brought a bit of pressure in the game. And having a look at Saturday's final game, uh, Richmond 6-5-41, defeating the Western Bulldogs just three behind. Yeah, this this was the big shock of the weekend, wasn't it? The the fact that the Western Bulldogs aside, which is essentially the VU Western Spurs from 2017 with a, a couple of Bulldogs-listed players being a part of it, not scoring a goal and only having one point up until three-quarter time, the big shock there. Um, for the weekend. And the Richmond Tigers, a, a list which I think you and me queried last week, Pete, where we weren't too sure what was going to happen with the Tigers in 2018. Well, they did fairly fairly well. Six goals on the board, four to Dixon, two to Colwell in their first match of 2018. Two games on the Sunday. The first one was held at Cadinia Park, where the Cats 7-10-52 Defeated Melbourne Uni 2-1-13. Expected this result. Expected Geelong to be dominant, um, as we said during our match day broadcast on the weekend, uh, tipping them to be the Premiers in 2018. Just think they're the most stable side in the competition and the scoreline in this match reflects that uh, very handy result for them. Uh, most of the goals coming after half-time as well in the match for the Geelong Cats on the flip side of the coin for the Muggers. A disappointing result. The, the scoreboard doesn't um, favour them at all in, in this game. In fact, it suggests that they were actually pretty poor, which I doubt that they were. They've still got a number of good players on the list, but it is a poor scoreline for the Muggers. Well mentioned, though, our very own Lucy Watkin got the first goal on the board for the Muggers on the weekend. So congratulations to her. Hashtag Watto Watch, and uh, if you follow that trending hashtag Watto Watch, you'll know as well that she's been listed as part of the training squad for the VAFA to take on the Adelaide Footy League Women's Competition in June. She's one of 70-odd players. Uh, We don't know if she'll make the cut or whether she'll obviously have more time in the State League competition, but congratulations to Watto anyway on making the list. Yeah, doubt, doubt we'll ever get her back in the commentary box because her head will be so after all of her achievements that she's uh, managed to get over the last couple of months. But uh, well done to, to Lucy rising through the ranks and, uh, well, p- forming a pivotal part of the, the Muggers lineup considering she kicked one of the, their two goals. Hey, it's just Watto's world and we're living in it. And moving on to the last game on Sunday, it was our RSN Carnival match of the day. Essendon 3-3-21, no match for Hawthorne 8-12-60. 
Yeah, no, no, dominant performance from the Hawks. Uh, similar to Geelong, they've retained a lot of the uh, uh, youth that they had in 2017. They've been developing that. They're now part of the Hawthorne Football Club, which gives them access to the, the professional setup. Not to say it was like that before with Box Hill, but there's just that little bit extra over the top. They've attracted AFLW players. And that clearly shone on the weekend with the likes of Sarah Perkins, Meg Hutchins. Uh, you can add or throw the name of Lou Watton in there as well, who was pivotal in the ruck for, for Hawthorne. Perkins kicked two goals, provided a real presence up forward. Meg Hutchins floated everywhere around the ground. It just showed how dominant that she still can be. And Phoebe McWilliams was the other one as well for Hawthorne. Between her and Sarah Perkins provided a real option up forward. Uh, they It made the forward line for Hawthorne look very, very dangerous and created a lot of questions for uh, Essendon in their defensive 50 about who they actually went to to try and double tag because their defensive line was under all sorts of pressure throughout the game. But it was just the, the efficient disposal, uh, the clean and the game awareness as well from Hawthorne players. You could just tell that they've been involved at state league, uh, state level football previously or higher levels of football. They just had the smarts to play the game on the weekend, whereas Essendon, just that little bit green, um, just had a few hoping kicks that didn't really go anywhere and uh, were turned over too easily. Good though that they got three goals on the board and the promising sign out of that is that when they do get a bit of link up going, they do have a bit of flair and run and carry with the ball. So exciting for the Bombers, but it's going to take them a little bit of time. Looking ahead to round two action this weekend, it all begins Saturday 12pm at Windy Hill with the two teams that lost on Sunday meet, Essendon versus Melbourne Uni. This will be an interesting game. I'm going to go with the Muggers just purely because uh, I think that no, they've had a lot of talent uh, ripped out of their list over the summer. I just think that they've got that game awareness still, similar to, to what Hawthorne had. Obviously, they've got uh, a few players around the fringes that have come into that side thinking the Muggers will win, but it should be a, a good tussle between these two developing sides. At Punt Road Oval in Richmond, 1pm on Saturday, the Tigers host Darabin. Well, after their dominant performance against the Western Bulldogs, you'd have to tip the Richmond Tigers, especially at Punt Road, their match there. Darabin, uh, we, we, we said it last week, we expect them to be competitive, um, but I, I just don't see them getting over the line against Richmond. 11.30am on Sunday out at Casey Fields in Cranbourne. The Casey Demons make their VFLW debut as they host Hawthorne. This will be an interesting game. I'm going to go with Hawthorne purely because they've got a game under their belt, but the, the Demons do have a fairly star-studded list in 2018, so uh, we'd be expecting them to run them close, but uh, tipping Hawthorne to get over the line. At Rams Arena, Craigieburn, Sunday, 12pm, Carlton hosts the Western Bulldogs. Going to go with Carlton in this one, expecting a response from the Western Bulldogs, but I just think Carlton will be too strong and uh, Darcy Vessio to kick another bag. Sunday, 2pm at Point Jellybrand, Williamstown host the Southern Saints. Expecting Williamstown to bounce back after a poor 
opening performance against Collingwood. They were building up. Uh, there was a lot of social media activity prior to the game, building up the Williamstown side. So they would have taken a little bit of a hit after the weekend's result, expecting them to bounce back in their first home match for premiership points in 2018 against the Southern, Southern Saints. Sunday, 2.30pm, it will be our RSN Carnival match of the day. We're live on air Sunday, 13th of May from 2pm Australian Eastern Standard Time at Olympic Park Oval, Collingwood versus Geelong. This will be a really good contest and uh, glad we're broadcasting this one this weekend. I think uh, Geelong are going to get over the line, but uh, only just, only by a couple of points. I think, uh, as I stated before, they do have a very stable side and and a good side across the park too. There's not too many gaps in the the Geelong lineup at the moment. So going with them, but uh, Collingwood to give them a run for their money. They've got uh, a number of AFLW players that played in round one. Would be expecting to see some of them again in round two. So it'll be a close game. Good tussle. Looking forward to it. NT Thunder having the bide this round. And just before I let you go, Coxie, your thoughts on some of the signings that have happened in the AFLW. We know, of course, a month ago, Emma Carney was signed to North Melbourne, literally days after the AFLW Grand Final. It was announced today that the expansion signing period will officially begin on Friday. But Geelong today announcing three VFLW footballers that played for them last year are going to sign on to play AFLW. They were all out of Melbourne. Aaron Hall, their rack, a defender in Anateague, a forward in Rochelle Cranston. But the biggest name of all, she was originally a Melbourne marquee when she signed prior to the 2017 season. She'll be sitting out the winter due to an ACL. Melissa Hickey is going to be one of the marquee players, one of the top signings for the Cats. Yeah, that's there's been rumours over the last couple of days in fact, late last week, I think I first read something that Melissa Hickey was being targeted by Geelong Ball Club, which caught me by surprise. I thought she would have been one of the, the stable names for the Melbourne Football Club in the years to come. They'll be disappointed to have lost her, but fantastic. She's a great leader and has really improved over the last uh, two seasons, specifically uh, mainly out of the, the AFLW program. She came back to Darabin last year, spent a lot more time in the midfield, looked to have bulked up earlier this year when we called the uh, Collingwood-Melbourne practice game at Olympic Park in January. And then, of course, uh, she did her ACL halfway through the AFLW season. Disappointing she's not taking part in the VFLW this year, but uh, she'll be a handy inclusion for the Cats, gives them that little bit of experience and leadership out on the ground. They will be disappointed that uh, they've reportedly lost out on Lily Miffin, who will be remaining with the Demons, according to uh, some of the news articles circulating. Um, So they'll be disappointed they didn't get her because she's an up-and-coming leader, a, a good talent, Melbourne, will be grateful for retaining her. But uh, the John Cats are struggling, uh, at least with their initial signings, a fairly good list. And, of course, North Melbourne with that earlier signing with uh, Carney um, starting to, uh, well, getting getting the best person uh, back to the club for that. We know she's got strong ties to Melbourne University, so it was expected that either her or Ellie Blackburn would return. And uh, they went for the best and fairest winner for 2018 and, and premiership player, Carney, uh, back at, uh, at, well, Arden Street, which is the one you want to use. 
Well, Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to your commentary this Sunday for Collingwood and Geelong at Olympic Park Oval. Yeah, it should be a thrilling match. There's a few games in the precinct, so if you're in the neighbourhood, stop by. This should be a really good game, round two of the VFLW season. Having a quick look at what happened over the weekend in the WAWFL, round five was played. Uh, one game on the Saturday where East Fremantle, 6-7-43, got over the line against Subiaco, 6-4-40, a three-point thriller. In the Sunday matches, Claremont, 6-14-50, defeated South Fremantle, one straight six. West Perth, 6-3-39, went down to the Peel Thunderbirds, 11-12-78. And Perth Angels didn't get on the scoreboard as they went down to Swan Districts 26-15-171. Ouch. Let's have a look at round six action. One game on the Saturday this weekend as the Perth Angels host South Fremantle 12 p.m. at Lathlane Oval. Uh, on the Sunday, three games, the Peel Thunderbirds host Claremont at Bendigo Bank Stadium. At 2 p.m., East Fremantle hosts West Perth at East Fremantle Oval. And at 2 p.m. on Sunday, Subiaco hosts Swan Districts at Leaderville Oval. The AFL Tasmania Women's League, round three played over the weekend. Both games are on the Sunday. Clarence 3-7-25 went down to Glenorchy 6-9-45. And the Tigers 5-4-34 defeated Burnie 1-2-8. Time to find out what happened in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division over the weekend. And I've got on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Peter. Uh, we had uh, quite a few good games over the weekend and uh, looking forward to uh, yeah having a review of them all. A side that's very close to your heart, the Southern Power. Winners on the weekend against the Western Wolves, 5-8-38 to 2-3-15. Yeah, look, it was, it was quite a close game. Um, I mean, as you see, not a big margin, but really close in the first half. Um, the Wolves were actually one point up at at quarter time. Uh, you know, low scoring. It was only a goal to Power and 1-1 one, one to the Wolves. Um, Power managed to kick a couple of goals and, and get ahead by nine points at the half and then uh, extended that lead to 16. And uh, they actually held the, the Wolves scoreless in the, the last quarter. So, look, you know, the, the power would be happy with the win, a little bit disappointed with some inaccurate kicking in it. They kicked 5 8. Uh, goal kickers for the power were uh, Molly uh, Eamon, sorry, uh, and Tudori Lotta, who's uh, doing quite well uh, for the season. Uh, and uh, the, the goal kickers for the Western Wolves were Atkins and Gilchrist. So, look, power would be happy um, to, you know, be sitting on three wins, five rounds into the season there, Peter. Having a look at our next game, the Newtown Breakaways, 2-1-13. Couldn't get the job done against Sydney Uni, 4-10-34. And maybe the scoreboard flooded them a little bit there with Sydney Uni's inaccurate kicking. Yeah, again, another so, sort of a similar margin in this one. Um, and as you mentioned, inaccurate kicking. Look, the the Bombers led all the way um, and, and actually held the breakaway scoreless uh, in in the first and last quarters. But, yeah, 4-10, I mean, you know, it's, what was it, a 21-point margin. But, um, you know, if the Bombers kicked 10-4 instead of 4-10, um, it obviously, yeah, it, it blows it right out into a, a convincing win. Uh, the goal kickers for the breakaways were Schroeder and Holdsworth. Uh, no surprises there. And the goal kickers for the, the Bombers were Scrimshaw, Stevenson and, and Laban. So, you know, the Bombers um, obviously haven't had their, their best start to the season, but um, 
be happy to, to pick up a win against old rivals in Brisbane. And boy, oh boy, what a big score here. The uh, Uni New South Wales Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs 17-16-118 defeating the UTS Shamrocks 1-5-11. Yeah, obviously um, a bit of a bit of a blowout there. Um, I, look, I, I thought it would be a big win to the Bulldogs. I think we had a a chat about that last week in our preview, but um, didn't think it'd be be quite so big. Um, Behan was the only goal scorer for the Shamrocks. Uh, she's often up there amongst the goals for them. So, uh, yeah, I suppose no surprise there that she got their solitary goal. But in terms of um, the Bulldogs, they had, oh, look, they had uh, quite a few individual goal kickers. Uh, Bertrand Gemma still with five. GWS player, oh, sorry, listed player, Beck Privatelli got four of their own. Um, and then the rest were individual goal kickers. So obviously great individual performances there by a couple of their forwards. But to have the spread of goal kickers um, across the board is obviously a really pleasing sign for them. And, uh, yeah, the the Bulldogs have had a fantastic start to the season with some uh, big wins there, Peter. And a low-scoring one at Uni Oval, Mac University, 4-2-26, just surviving against Auburn Penrith Giants, 2 7 yeah, look at the closest one um, of the round, um, but yeah, obviously another low-scoring game overall. Uh, look, no goals were kicked until late in the second quarter, uh, so at at half time the scores were actually only one-two Mac Uni to uh, the Auburn Penrith Giants three behind. So extremely low scoring. Um, the Mac Uni managed to kick a, another goal in the third quarter and then another two in the fourth. Uh, but still, yeah, only ran out uh, seven-point winners. Uh, the Warriors, their four goals all came from individuals. Uh, they were missing their uh, their yeah, mainstay full forward, um, Simone Freeman, uh, for, for the week. Um, still would have been happy to, to come away with the win. And the goal kickers for the uh, the Giants were Bride and, and East, East Hope, who are up there again most weeks. So across the board, all four games, the, uh, the goal kickers are sort of the usual suspect. So I think we're getting into some, yeah, really good competition and, and starting to see some, um, yeah, you know, the, the players, I suppose, stamp their authority and, and make their mark in games. So let's take a look at the ladder. It seems that the top two are starting to pull away from the pack and then it's anyone's guess from third down to eighth. Yeah, look, I mean, Mac Uni are undefeated. They've got a fairly healthy percentage of 207, but then you go to the Bulldogs, who've only lost the one game, but their percentage is a massive 525. So, um, you know, you'd have to think at this stage those two are the the hot favourites to be uh, playing on, on grand final day. But as we know, it's a, it's a long season. Um, Powers uh, stand alone on three wins in third place, but the percentage isn't isn't that great. It's, it's 84. And with the fourth place Giants on 108 and only game behind them, uh, they peg level on games that they'll, um, yeah, race ahead of the power on, uh, on percentage. And surprisingly, I mean, who would have thought, Peter, that, in you know, after five rounds, that uh, the Bombers would be in fifth spot um, with a percentage less than a hundred. You've got uh, the Breakaways who are uh, less than a percentage point away on the same games in sixth spot, and you've got the Wolves uh, in seventh on one game, followed by the Shamrocks also on one game in eighth. So um, probably you know, whilst we've got a couple of teams that uh, have only got the one win, um, it's probably been the most even start to a competition. I think top-level uh, Aussie rules footy in, 
for uh, in Sydney Women's has been for quite some time, Peter. Well, let's have a look at that uh, with round six this weekend, Saturday, 12th of May, 10.40am at Henson Park. The Bulldogs are playing host to the Sydney Uni Bombers. Yeah, look, um, you know, last year, the probably the last sort of three or four years, this would have been, a, you know, top-of-the-table clash. Um, but I think it might be a little bit different this year. Um, obviously, strong rivalry. Uh, but I think uh, the Bulldogs are going to have uh, have a good win um, on Saturday, Peter. Six versus seventh, 10.40am at Mahoney Park. Uh, Newtown Breakaways hosting the Western Wolves. Yeah, look, I think this will be a, a really interesting game. Obviously, the Wolves um, came out of the blocks and, and had a win in round one, uh, but haven't been able to uh, get the four points since then. Um, Newtown have managed to win a couple of games. I think this will be a really close one. Um, I'm tipping Newtown, but I think it'll be, uh, uh, yeah, it'll be a small margin. 1.45pm Saturday at Mona Parker, Auburn Penrith Giants hosting the UTS Shamrocks. Uh, I think the Giants are going to win this one. I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means, um, but they've shown that they're a you know, much improved side over the last couple of years. Um, obviously only a couple of wins on the board so far, um, but I think they'll be too strong uh, across the board for the Shamrocks. And a twilight game at University Oval, 4.50pm on Saturday. Macquarie University, first position, taking on third position, Southern Power. Yeah, look, I think, um, obviously, you know, we mentioned before, Mac Uni Warriors are undefeated. Um, they've had their best start to a season since being in top flight women's AFL. Uh, I think they're going to get the win again against the Power. Um, perhaps not as big a margin as it as it was in round one, um, but I think they'll be doing it quite comfortably at home. Well, Lauren, thanks again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we look forward to catching up with you next week as we review yet another round of Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter, and thanks for having me on the show again. Let's take a look and see what happened at the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 competition played over the weekend, round three action, and Christie's Beach 3-3-21 went down to Adelaide Uni 6-11-47. Port Adelaide Magpies 2-2-14 were defeated by Fitzroy 10-12-72, and Morfordville Park 6-5-41 defeated Salisbury 4-4-28. Looking ahead to round four, a Friday night game, 8.15pm at University Oval as Adelaide Uni host Fitzroy. Fitzroy, of course, being the former West Adelaide Women's Football Club. On Saturday, a night game, 7pm at Salisbury Oval as the Salisbury Magpies host Christie's Beach. And on the Sunday, 3pm at Callet Reserve, Morpeville Park hosts the Port Adelaide Magpies. Looking now to the AFL Canberra Women's Competition in first grade. Round three was played over the weekend. Balconnen, 19 134 defeated Tugranong Hawks one behind. Gungarland Jets 3624 went down to East Lake 11571. And Quimbian 12779 defeated Ainsley 117. Looking ahead to round four, a Friday night game, 6:30 p.m. at Kingston Oval. East Lake host Balconnen. On Saturday, 10 a.m. at Gungarland enclosed Oval. Gungarland Jets host the Quimbian Tigers. And at 4 p.m. on Saturday at Allen Ray Oval, Ainsley host the Tugranong Hawks. Time to check out what happened in the QWAFL over the weekend. And on the line, former Coolangatta Tweed Premiership coach and our Queensland reporter, Aaron Russell. Aaron, how are you? Oh, Peter, great. Love it. Loving, loving footy. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the review this week. So, 
Well, let's have a look what happened back on Saturday. The UQ Red Lions 2-2-14, no match for Bond University, 11-7-73. Yeah, look, interesting round. Um, we, we had no close games, so it wasn't exactly a, a, a spectator's weekend for footy this week, uh, especially if you weren't supporting the three winning sides. Um, but yeah, the battle of the battle of the students, uh, the unis here. So um, Bond, Bond getting over only the University of Queensland, um, and uh, they're tracking along pretty nicely, and and probably a lot better than a lot of really expected. Uh, UQ um, picked up some, or didn't say picked up, but got back some of their uh, top tier players um, in Conan um, coming back into the side. Shani Webb, Megan Hunt played the other week, but played again this week. Um, so they were back in the side, but still not good enough um, to 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 get anywhere near uh, Bond on this occasion. Um, I know they are quite depleted throughout the ranks, and they'll they'll, they'll probably improve as the season um, comes up, comes on. Um, but uh, yeah, look, great victory for for Bond Uni, and and uh, they they led the whole way through, um, coming out with a smashing seven goal to one first quarter, um, and basically coasted. Um, only registering a goal um, or two in each quarter thereafter, um, but keeping university well held from there. So uh, they're looking pretty good. Um, players that have been tracking along nicely, uh, Lauren Bella, who's uh, a, a, a project player or has been in through the juniors um, coming through, uh, has been handy for, those, for them. Um, and she'll be one to look out for in the Lions uh, in the years to come. I think that will be Lions or Suns will have uh, both want a piece of of her, of her um, in the years to come. But she's been tracking along nicely. Um, Smith and and Scott as well, who we know was on the Lions rookie list last year, um, had a good game for them um, as well. So tracking along nicely is Bond University. Um, yeah, hard to sort of pull. Uh, too many positives away from that one for for UQ, but uh, look, m- moving forward, let's let's really hope that they improve um, over the as the season goes on, which we'd expect nothing less from them with the, with the quality they've now got back in the side. A game that I thought would have been a heck of a lot closer, but it didn't turn out to be the case. Gullingutta Tweed nine fourteen sixty eight defeating Yeronga South Brisbane, no score. Yeah, wow, what a what a what a scoreline to read. Hey, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't think I can't remember. Um, the last time Yeronga have been held scoreless. In fact, I can't remember the last time uh, Yeronga um, or any team <laughs> have been held scoreless for quite some time. Um, look, you're, something's going on at Yeronga, and they're, they're really sort of struggling to to put it together at the moment. It's not what we used to see, um, you know, the, from from the reigning premiers at the moment. So mind you, um, from from Yeronga, they've been super competitive side for for years. Uh, years and years and years in in Quaffle. So this is something that um, you know they they have got to bounce back from. Um, you know and they'll be screaming out for the for their top tier. I mean they've definitely lost uh, a couple of their um, you know household names. Uh, haven't been playing so far this season. Um, they picked up some uh, quite some good youngsters um, in Hislop and um, uh, Jess Watts has been playing some incredible footy. Uh, over the last couple of years, she's improved out of sight. But you know, you have a look at that 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 side that took the field on the weekend, and um, you know, there's a there's a lot of names missing. Um, you know, in, in fact, um, they probably uh, I think they only had three or four playing from their premiership side. So their side doesn't seem to be strengthening um, as the weeks go on, which is you know, um, it's going to make it really hard for them 
uh, to pick up wins. It's sort of hard to see where they're going to come from um, at the moment for for Yuronga. But uh, fantastic win for Cooley, um, getting one back. And I think they'll, as I sort of thought a couple of weeks ago, they're just going to keep improving as the season goes on. Um, Georgia Bruard, one to watch. She's uh, from just over the border, but we claim her here just in Queensland. Uh, and she had a fantastic game on the weekend um, uh, for Cooley, and she's also one to watch. She's uh, only a 16-year-old, uh, um, so, yeah, she's she's a highly, highly talented girl. Small player, knows how to find plenty of footy, uh, but, yeah, great game from, from Cooley. And, and we should mention that 9-14-68 to no score was a half-time right. score when the game was then called off because of lighting issues. Correct. Yes, that is correct. Um, so there's a, a, a technical <laughs> technical one there, but I mean even even so, there's a bit ma- massive scoreline um, even beforehand. So yeah, not but, sure it would have changed too much in the end result there. Yeah, I don't think um, one side's going to be feeling robbed that it was <laughs> one point the difference or something like that. It was um, it was the game was going one way. Yeah, de- definitely one one way traffic with with that one. So. Um, and in the other game, uh, Wilston Grange eight fourteen sixty two defeat Maroochydore two one thirteen. Yeah, Wilson Grange travelling up uh, to uh, sorry uh, Maroochydore coming down to to Wilson um, to play there. Uh, and yeah, um, look probably probably when you when you look at how good Wilson have been tracking against some of the other opposition, um, you know maybe maybe a few, few people would have expected a, a larger scoreline. So. Um, yeah, not not a terrible result for for Mucci at any any stretch of the margin, um, but Wilson are tracking along really really nicely at the moment. Um, you know, in terms of what they've got available on their list and who's playing footy um, for their respective sides, uh, Wilson uh, have probably got the percentage of the most. And you know, as we know, durability in the season um, can be a, a massive factor. Um, you know, in, in determining who wins. Games at the start or the end, especially at the end of the season. So, tracking along nicely, Wilson, and it's it's starting to to show, and the ladder's starting to take shape as well. And Wilson now sits um, a game clear at top of the ladder, and and yet to be knocked off. So, at the moment, um, a side that's been, you know, hasn't hasn't isn't necessarily used to to sitting ever on top of the ladder. They're sitting up there now, and um, I'm sure they're loving it. So, they uh, they decide to beat at the moment. And I can assure you, Wilson and Grange will get no premiership points this weekend because they have the bye. Correct. Let's have a look, <laughs> let's have a look ahead to round five on that note. Uh, Yoronga South Brisbane host Bond University, 3.45pm at Leishon Park. Yeah, correct. So, look, really hoping um, Yoronga to, to bounce back here and um, a lot of, you know, hopefully they pick up a couple more players um, coming back you know, into that side, and they're, they're really, really going to need that to, um, you know, put up a fight a, a, against. There'll be any chance against a a, um, a well-travelling Bond Bond side at the moment. Obviously, they've got a got the home ground advantage, advantage against Bond, but uh, yeah, look, I probably probably can't tip against Bond at the moment. Um, I think Yeronga may may take a little bit of time, and a lot will come down to you know what players they can get back uh, out on the paddock. Um, but at the moment, I think Bond will be will be too strong, and and their confidence is, is high. Um, it doesn't matter the sides that the you know the strengths of the sides they've been beating uh, at the moment. Bond will be full of confidence, um, you know, and 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 their players are 
just improving from uh, week to week. So I think I think Bond are going to get the win here uh, against Yoronga. Um And look, uh, yeah, it could be. Hope, hopefully, not too much. We're really hoping Yoronga can can put some points on the board, but uh, uh, it, it could be a big win for for Bond here against last year's premiers. So how, how awesome would that be? 4.45pm, Coolangatta Tweed host the UQ Red Lions. Yeah, so UQ getting some of their superstars back, but Cooley are in some good form. And um, I think out of all of the, the, the sides that have got you know, new, new un, unknown names um, in, into their, their uh, first-grade teams, um, I think the Cooley ones are the ones that are probably performing, performing the best at the moment, the likes of... Georgia Brewer and Zoe Wood, and they've got a couple of um, uh, other girls that have come from other codes, and and they're sort of what's you know really uh, really giving uh, Cooley a, a good show at the moment. So um, you know, I think on this particular occasion, especially the travel down to Cooley as well, uh, Cooley will be will be too strong for UQ um, on this occasion. But uh, it, it look gives UQ another chance, another challenge for themselves, and. Can these elite players in the UQ side? How quickly can they can they get them get uh, the rest of their team up to their level? Uh, but I think Cooley will be too strong on this occasion. And also at four forty five pm on Saturday, Maroochydore play host to Cooperu. Yeah, well, Cooperu. I think uh, look, if this is going to be any any chance for Maroochydore, the time the time is now. Um, Cooperu might be right for the picking here, but. Um, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna back Cooperu, put my faith in Cooperu on this one. I think they're gonna get the job done. It's a it's a big ass travelling up to Maroochydore. Um, I think they're slowly gonna get a couple of players back. Um, hopefully this week uh, for their sake. Um, but this would be be an awesome uh, scalp to take from Maroochydore if they can. I think it's gonna be a close game. I don't expect it to be a, a huge scoring affair here. Um, I think it'll be a really grind out, um, grind out contested game between these two this weekend. Um, I think if any if they can do it any week, it's going to be this week for Maroochydore. But I think on this particular occasion, again, uh, Cooperu, uh, I'm banking on them to get the chocolates. Well, Aaron, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you next week as we review round five for the QWAFL. Thank you. As always, Peter. Time to preview the 2018 United States Australian Football League season. And I have got on the line the media manager of the USAFL. He is the American voice of the USAFL. He is known as the American BT on Reddit. Yes, the one and only, the very famous Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? <laughs> how are you going, Peter? Always great to have you on the line. And I call you famous because, again, you've been famous on Reddit with the American BT and you've done something I haven't uh, had the privilege of. You've been interviewed on the Outer Sanctum as well, on their vision and on their podcast. <laughs> well, you know, I I guess they, they just like me that much for some reason. I don't know what it is that I say about the Outer Sanctum and of Reddit. I, I, I don't know, but... But listen, better to be loved than be hated, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. But the reason why you're most famous, not only just calling football, but for all the reports that you do on the USAFL, both men's and women's, you're loved, obviously, by all the women in the competition, by the great uh, previews and reviews that you do. And we're going to go through that right now, having a look at season 2018. Let's start over on the East Coast. Now, I guess the thing that everyone wants to know more information about is we know, at least for the men, that Baltimore 
and the DC Eagles um, had a split. Now, it wasn't a bad split. It was a case of they had so many players, they decided to form two teams, Baltimore Dockers and DC Eagles. What's the situation with what we knew as last year is the Baltimore-Washington Lady Eagles? They're still going to compete as one combined unit for 2018 at the very least. Uh, The numbers were supported for that split on the men's side, but the women decided that at least for another year, it's probably best for them to to go on as as a combined unit. As you said, Peter, it wasn't an acrimonious split. It was the fact that, you know, there are two cities that are split by about 40 miles and uh, we've seen, if you look at Golden Gate slash San Francisco Iron Maidens, that um, you know they're spread out all over the place and they can make that work. They decided it was a lot easier for them to to go in this direction with the two cities. However, um, given the success that the Eagles, the Lady Eagles, had last year, where they brought a dozen women and they've been coming to that tournament in one form or another since the very first year in 2005, coming to nationals that uh, it's good to kind of keep the momentum up. And they're going to play in Division Two this year. Uh, They're most likely going to be combining with teams during the season, especially Philadelphia, possibly Boston. And you talk about uh, the veterans that they have from the national team, Karen Stablin and uh, Alex Mims-Pike and Emily Real, but they've got a couple of really – good youngsters, two of them in particular, in Molly Halberstadt, who's a good midfielder. Uh, She really impressed me last year at the Eastern Regionals. And also Miriam Mater, who had a very good Nationals tournament. They're both very quick through the middle. So any team that they pair up with during the season, they're going to give a lot of speed and pace. So still an up-and-coming program in both senses. And like I said, it's, it's very possible we might see them still together as one unit for another year or two. The Boston Lady Demons, another side, obviously up in the New England area. They actually got a bit of a publicity boost only just a few weeks ago with one of the commercial television stations doing a feature on their club. Yeah, and uh, they're also very lucky to have Bill Robert from Stateside Footy, who um, everyone talks about about me, but uh, if it weren't for Bill, I probably wouldn't have gotten my start at all calling footy. Um, and he's a, a, a very, very enthusiastic. I mean, he's probably a bigger uh, footy nerd than I am. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, yeah, it was a very good boost. And the fact that they have been able to, to practice in very public areas in Cambridge Commons and also Boston Commons as well uh, has helped. Uh, in terms of the team, like Baltimore, Washington, they're going to be combining during the year. They're going to play in Division Two, And they have their veterans again. Kalen Deal, who had a very good tour playing fullback for the Liberty. Amanda King, who played well in that European Crusader side. She's had some injury problems. Tracy Toner, a native of Portland, Maine, uh, who just got a team, by the way, and they may have one or two women trickled down, uh, at least in the Maine Cats uh, formative days, to, to play alongside uh, Boston. Um, the two players that they got as well, uh, Katie Ree, who's another young midfielder who has a lot of speed, and Diane Welsh, who uh, a number of players in the opposition have been telling me how fierce she is in her tackling and and relentless around the ball. So, uh, again, like Baltimore, Washington, this is a team that's going to be combining with others during the year. And whoever they're with, they're going to get some good talent and they're going to get a lot of help. 
Having a look at the Columbus Gillaroos, they supplied a number of players to the US Liberty Tour of Australia last year. But uh, one big name of note will not be playing for them uh, this year due to other commitments. Yeah, uh, Katrina Scherer is going to Los Angeles uh, for the year to uh, play with the, or at least train with the USA handball team, the beach handball team, which her sister Katie Ann is a part of. Uh, but the good news, at least for Columbus, is that I think in a couple of years ago that it may have been a little bit more of a setback than it is because of the talent that they have developed, uh, especially the the three players who went to the Liberty, uh, Stephanie Shipley, Amy Berniarski, as well as uh, Lauren Balsley. And they all provide different things. I think Berniarski is probably the best of the bunch. She's a, a midfielder. She's not, doesn't have the speed. I think that some of the other midfielders have, but what I like about her is she is very cunning and she also uh, is pretty fearless through the middle. Stephanie Shipley is really, really improved. Um, the one player that they did pick up last year, she's based down in Cincinnati, is another handball player, another beach handball player in Bronwyn Smith, uh, who can come in in the rock. I think she's a capable replacement in terms of playing in the rock and as a tall option for share. Um, and again, Peter, you have to remember that three years ago, this team was basically one player and the fact that they have built up into this uh, into this sort of uh, culture and has built up a good side. Uh, they're still looking for their first win or their second win at, at nationals in about 13 tries. They only have one win uh, at nationals since their renaissance in 2014. And they happen to have Jess Wuchner as part of a combination with Boston that year. So um, they're a better team than that record indicates. And uh, I still think that they're going to struggle a little bit offensively, but with players like Smith and like Ariel Balski, who's coming back, I think that's not going to be a problem as it has been in previous years. The side that's, in my opinion, at least for the last few years, has always seemed to be middle of the road in Division One. They haven't improved, but they haven't gone backwards. They've kind of like waiting, I guess, for one or two key players to join them to take them to the next level. It's been the Minnesota Freeze. Yeah, last year they actually, uh, because they had so many players, they had 11 players representing them nationally in Australia last year. Uh, they had a, a fairly light regular season schedule. In fact, they only played two games, and uh, that was a product of the fact that you know, they didn't want to suffer the burnout that a lot of other teams had during the course of the season heading into nationals and then coming out of nationals. But they also ended up going two and one when they got to nationals. And the only thing that kept them from a date in the final was was the buzzsaw known as San Francisco. Um, they're going to play a heavier schedule this year. They're going to be traveling more. They're heading to the Des Moines tournament. They're going to be coming to the central regionals in Nashville. Um, they're, this is a side that I've always said has been pretty balanced, and they're starting to see some some superstars emerge. Uh, Kathy Oha on the forward line, she's what I call a poacher. She's not uh, – she generally just kind of stays up there working, and then she'll go after any of the free balls from about the half-forward line up 
Jackie Thielen has had two really good nationals the last couple of years. Paige Kicker has uh, emerged as a as a ball winning defensive player. It seems like she gets somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 touches a game over the course of 80 minutes. Um, there is a lot of good talent that they're that they're recruiting. Uh, they they can beat you a number of different ways. As you said, Peter, I think they've always been kind of treading water in the middle of Division One. But this is a team that can beat you if if you take don't take them seriously enough. And and I feel they're they're very well coached behind Dale Williams. So we'll have to see how they go this year. We'll see how the long schedule affects them in the long run. The fact that they're only about three three hours or so. Uh, to travel to nationals over in Racine, Wisconsin is going to help. And you may even see them get uh, more, a little bit more than the one full team complement. So, because uh, they, they are very, very good at showing up at, at the stuff around their neighborhood, so to speak. So, uh, they should have a good season and they should have a good nationals. They're a good, nice outside shot. I, I don't like them for a grand final as much as I like Seattle, but they are going to be very competitive this season. One of two Canadian teams that took part in the USAFL Nationals last year, and they've already played one game uh, so far this year against New York where they came out one-point winners, the Montreal Angels. It'd be interesting to see how they develop because I think it's safe to say they would have been very disappointed with the result they came away with at Nationals, a 0-3 and record. Yeah, they're obviously very disappointed. And the, the thing is, is we looked at them last year, Peter, and we saw, well, you know, they've got the Lego sisters and Amy and Margot, and they've got Val Moreau, who uh, is has very has impressed not only here, but also in Australia, first with the Eastern Devils, and of course now uh, debuting with uh, Essendon in the, in the, the VFLW. Um I think the the crux is that they have a lot of new players, and I think they're still very much finding their footing. And I and I think that the the veterans are still finding their footing with with bringing them along. Um, but they, you know, you look at Caroline Leduc, who should be back for nationals, uh, who played with uh, with East Fremantle over in the Waffle. Larissa Andrew Sijin, who is a uh, who has played for the Midnight Suns, the Canadian development team, a rugby player who uh, ha- has a, a fair bit of the tools. Um, Audrey Telefer is another one who gen- who won uh, a lot of the ball, and Dora Bortulovic as well. They have players who have national team experience, at least through the development level. So the other thing to remember, Peter, is that during the course of their season, they don't play full 18 aside very often. So that doesn't seem to have hurt them too much in the past. This may have been the first time in a long time that they've had a full standalone 18 aside team. Um, so I think in, in hindsight, we probably should have seen that they weren't going to probably set the world on fire. But at the same time, uh, their players are coming very well. They're, they're coming along very nicely. Uh, they uh, are doing a heavy recruiting bid up there in Montreal this year, especially uh, with a number of local groups that are involved in getting people, especially in the LGBT community, involved in sports. So they're doing a lot of good work in that respect. Um, if they bring a full Division One side, I think they're going to be competitive as they have been. And a lot of their rookies will, will have the experience of playing in nationals and playing a full side 
uh, playing in full side matches. So we'll have to see how they go. But they are moving forward uh, as that whole program is up in Quebec. Then there's the New York Magpies, who at the moment seem to be down the bottom end of Division 1. They've had a bit of a rivalry going with the Sacramento Suns and have played a couple of close games. Uh, we know they've lost some of their key Aussies. I, I guess the question is, uh, as much as they're in the big city, can they find the players there from New York City to start the climb back up the Division 1 ladder? Well, they've recruited very well in the last couple of years. Of course, there was that class about two years ago that brought in players such as Natalie Wolf, where they brought in something like 13 new players. And uh, the, the word from New York so far is that they've already had about a dozen or so new players come out to the training sessions, to the winter indoor sessions as well. Uh, and they have a lot of new talent that they're cultivating. The thing is, is that Christina Licata, who was just named the defensive assistant coach of the USA Freedom to Danny Seow, um, they get you into the skills very quickly. And as much as the skills are very important, uh, Lakata's philosophy and the philosophy of the, of the team up in New York basically is we, you know, the skills are good to learn, but they want you to get into the game theory. They want to get you into the tactics of the game. You know, why are you leading? Why are you leading in this particular direction? Um, their plan this year is they want to spread the, the play as much as they could because the recognition there um, is the fact that, that the game, especially in the USAFL, is very, very congested. And they wanted to have their faster players uh, lead out, especially in the in the forwards and in the half forwards, uh, do something that you know we don't see a whole lot of, and that is lead to space and and open up the game a little bit more. Um, I think the one thing that they knew they were going to have trouble with last year, as Columbus did, was offense. And and uh, I will say that Claire Algazin and Lauren Skinachny, I, I think they work very well as a team. Uh, for the Liberty last year, they, they both had good tournaments. And I feel like that helps Kim Hemingway a little bit because it draws the attention off of her uh, and in times when they're double teaming her, or when they're pressuring on her, then they have other options. Um, I feel like their defense is going kind of unnoticed as, as, as much as they've built it up. Uh, of course, Casillas, who is now in season number 14 in the USAFL, Taylor Davidson, who is a, a very consistently capable fullback, uh, Wolf, who has not has moved back from the ruck position and into a defensive role and allowed Andrea Hargreave, uh, who has done very well in the last couple of seasons coming up into the ruck position. So uh, I think defensively, they're very strong. They're not as strong offensively as some of the other teams have. And I think you saw that in the fact that they only scored two points against Montreal in their opening game. But uh, they're going to come along. I still think they're probably about a year or two before we see a lot of these newer recruits uh, really kind of assert themselves. But uh, they're still, I think, still in the middle of the pack. They're still scrapping, as you said, Peter, with Sacramento in terms of where they are in terms of level. But uh, it's been great to see the new players that have come along and, and made an impact, not just locally, but, but nationally as well. And it's been great to see their new training venue as well with uh, Brooklyn Bridge in the background. 
Yeah, that's a hell of a backdrop, isn't it? Uh, uh, with the financial district and, and lower Manhattan, that's that's a hell of a view. <laughs> it, it helps when you have that sort of a backdrop setting, although it, it, it is kind of a, a really good advertisement for us as the USAFL. It's like, look where you could be trading. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a look at the uh, team that is a standalone women's club. That is the North Star Blue Ox, which was just a handful of uh, players um, originally from the Minnesota Free starting up their own team. And it was an impressive effort by them at the Nationals because, you know, they've managed to fundraise and managed to buy and wear their own jumpers for the first time at the Nationals. The slow build continues out there at the North Star Blue Ox in the Twin Cities. Yeah, they're uh, they're looking to recruit more this year. They have uh, half a dozen players uh, last year, and, and it was a really, really good start for them. They combined with uh, those other teams, including Columbus and Chicago last year, and of course they didn't come out with a victory, but at the same time, uh, they've got a lot of knowledge there. I mean, they're all veterans at least of two or three seasons. Marie LeVictor has also played for the USA Freedom. Olivia Von Gareth is, uh, is a very capable player through the midfield. So they're looking at recruiting. Uh, it is also difficult when you have another team there that's recruiting as well, but uh, they look to go in the colleges a fair bit. Um, they're really ramping things up this year. So, uh, again, probably another Division II season for them, but uh, they're very happy with what they've accomplished in the first season, and, and they're looking to replicate it this year. The home of the Eagles, the 76ers, and cheesesteaks, the Philadelphia Hawks, are impressive in Division II last year, uh, not only with the numbers that they sent, but managing to team up with Portland to take out that Division II title. Yeah, and uh, you, you can't say that it was all Portland considering, you know, the number of players that they have and, and the type of players that they had. Uh, the, the Hawks ladies provided more than just a supporting role in that championship, especially uh, the two women who picked up the game in late 2016 and less than a year later found themselves playing for the USA Liberty in Australia. And, of course, uh, Amy Arundale and Erica Saki. And I think you have to look at Arundale as a – as a as a VFLW caliber player, and uh, it helps when you can build your team around that. the The word this year has been recruitment, and uh, Lauren Kelly, uh, who has come in and and also had a very solid season last year, uh, she and the rest of the Hawks board, especially on the men's side, have have really been busy during this winter recruiting. Uh, they, of course, had the Australian Heritage Night at the 76ers game where they draw a lot of attention, actually managed to recruit a couple of players from that event, as well as from Australia Day. Um, so that number they had started last year with about five players. That number is very close to doubling uh, in terms of players that they hope to get registered this year. One player we didn't see last year is Jackie Kershaw. And the, the Hawks are very high on her. They say that she could be as good as Erica or possibly Amy once she gets her, her feet settled uh, and, and play some more games. She played a, a handful of matches last year, didn't, didn't get to come to regionals or, or nationals. She's planning to do that this year. Uh, versatile, versatile player who they can stick up in the forward line and uh, has a pretty good nose for goal. Um, 
they're still building here in Philly, and uh, they're very, very optimistic about the the players that they're getting in. Uh, they're hoping to to field a Division One team in the next two or three seasons. Uh, that's still fair down the line, but. Uh, again, they're going to be very helpful. The, the the half dozen or seven or eight players that they bring uh, can offer a lot to a team. So I'm uh, really excited to see them grow and really excited to see the players who started, you know, one, two seasons ago and how they play out. The Texas Heat, which, of course, was a combination of players in the Dallas Magpies, the Houston Lone Stars, and one Wisconsin Wombat. Uh, this year, they're hoping for the Austin Crows to get in on the act. It, it's just amazing, the the Texas Heat, not only their performance on debut of a 2-2 record, third place out of five in Division Two, but all that coming together in just the space of three months, a full team. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, a little bit of elbow grease can go. And and, and the, the one thing that, you know, to remember is all of that happened in the backdrop of Hurricane Harvey that, that went on. And especially at the end, you know, about a month or so before Nationals, about six weeks before Nationals. And the, the fact that they were able to, to pull together and have a, a full side. Again, that wasn't just from Houston. That was from Dallas as well, including to Nafla Pop from Wisconsin. Um and as it turns out, Peter, they, they, they're pretty good, uh, especially Aubrey Bagley, who had to be, I think, the best new player to come through uh, into Nationals last year, who uh, incredibly dangerous. But they're... You look at some of the other players, and, and mentioned Sarah Pulliam, who you had on, your, on the show last year, uh, diminutive but quick, uh, almost uh, cut, cuts through like a Ginsu through a, through a nail. Uh, Taylor Ballinger was a good defensive player. Uh, really liked how how fierce she was through the through the defensive side. Uh, Crystal Winters as well. They had a number of, of Aussies, including uh, Julia Wells, Felicity Harrison. So we were assuming they were all a bunch of Americans, and in fact, they did have a couple of Aussies on the team. So uh, the the word that I'm hearing through is that uh, they have a number of players who uh, aren't able to commit to this season uh, for various reasons. Uh, they are recruiting pretty pretty well, however, so they might be able to fit the numbers to get back to where they are able to fill a full side. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how competitive they are during the year and also when they get to the Central Regionals. Denver is going to be in the Central Regionals this year, um, moving over from the West. So. Uh, that will be a very interesting matchup, especially considering that unlike Denver, where they've got a lot of strength, this is a team that's built mostly on finesse and speed. Uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they go against some of those other teams. But I, I think they win more than two games this year uh, when they get to Division Two, and, and that's really fun to see, as you said, how fast they've come in such a short time. Jumping across to the West Coast, a team that we were chatting about just a couple of weeks ago when we interviewed Melissa Wilhelm, uh, formerly Melissa Armstrong, uh, the Arizona Lady Hawks. Yeah, the, the the Lady Hawks are back in the swing of things, it seems like, and, and uh, they've recruited a couple of players uh, out of uh, some of the colleges there and players with a Gaelic background. And and. Of course, they've got Wilhelm, who a uh, longtime veteran of the game and, and still has uh, a lot of the tools there, uh, especially coming through the midfield. And of course, as we've mentioned a couple of times, 
you know, had won the praise at nationals in 2016 from none other than Dermot Brereton, the, the Hawthorne Hawks star. Um, the, of course, there was the split with the Arizona Outlaws and um, with the Outlaws. Uh, they generally took a number of the players who had been around a little bit, a little bit longer. Uh, Carla Mascarenas Pack is one of them who has crossed over to the to the Outlaws team, and uh, they played two games against each other uh, with players from different teams mixed into the respective sides at the uh, Rob Dollar AFL X tournament uh, that was held this past Saturday. Uh, they played two games. The first game was won by the Hawks combination uh, alongside Los. Angeles, as well as uh, up against the outlaw side, which had players from New York and Des Moines. So uh, there, there's a lot of young talent there and also a number of players who were uh, who they had recruited through the fact that the Freedom and Liberty camp were held was held there in 2015. Uh, Lindsey Roberts and Melissa Jones are or rather. Uh, yeah, Melissa Jones, the two of them uh, who had played in the who had who'd come up through the freedom camp in 2015. Uh, Roberts had played in 2015. She had knee surgery. Uh, she had a, a son and uh, she's come back in 2018. I like her because she's a she's a strong defender. Uh, skills are still coming along. So they're both teams in, in Arizona are, are recruiting. Uh, the Hawks, as, as uh, Melissa said during the course of the, the interview, they're probably going to pair up with Los Angeles a fair bit during the season, and that should be fun to watch. Let's move back across the border for a moment to uh, Calgary. Now, with the Calgary Kookaburras, they played in the Nationals last year. I know there was a big tickets on them. Unfortunately, they ran into the Denver Lady Bulldogs, and that came down to being the decision of who would get into the grand final because they're certainly stuck with plenty of Northern Lights talent in that Kookaburras team. Yeah, I think we kind of underestimated the the fact that the, the toll took on them, the fact that they had so many players uh, go to the to the to the North Wind, uh, and uh, or to the Northern Lights rather, and, uh, and and they got as banged up as some of the other teams did. And I think by the time they reached that game against Denver, they were they were all out. Uh, and, and obviously, it showed the fact that they got blanked by the Lady Bulldogs, nineteen to nothing. Um, they are also, as, as many of the other teams are, re- recruiting heavily around the colleges, and they're hoping to, to build up the program. But, but the thing with the Kookaburras is they've always been very, very strong. And, of course, they were the first Canadian team to win uh, a women's national championship, doing it over two thousand, doing it in 2008 over the then three-time defending champion Atlanta Kookaburras. Um, they, they have a, a couple of players who have, who have stepped back who, who are not going to be playing uh, this year. Uh, however, uh, you look at the talent they do have, and of course, uh, led by Caroline Ireland, uh, who, who who played uh, a fantastic uh, International Cup last year, especially in the half-forward line. Uh, she has a very good job of leading. Uh, Rochelle Chabot, who missed out at, at, uh, at the International Cup due to an injury. She came back late in the season and contributed to the Nationals. So there is a lot of talent there, uh, probably on par with the better teams in the in the USAFL. You're talking about Denver and talk about San Francisco. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see if they're up in Division One again. Uh, again, not too far of a jaunt down to Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, but definitely, I think if you look at all of the teams in, in Canada, they're probably still the best. Heading back over to the USA for Colorado and the Denver Lady Bulldogs. Well, they swept aside teams in their pool. They ran into the San Francisco Iron Maidens and would come up short again. Just looking at their squad, they don't seem to be losing many players. They might even be getting one or two back. So, again, you've got to put, I guess, the Bulldogs in that top bracket of sides that might be able to get their hands on the cup. Yeah, and every year we ask heading into nationals, is this the year that they they, they come down into the into the, the with down to earth with the rest of us, and uh, every year they just find a way to keep getting through into the top two. And last year again was no exception. And and the wear and tear of the season, you know, especially look at Hallie Castanek. She had that dislocated elbow in game two of the International Cup. She came back. We were like, what kind of performance? Are we going to get out of her? And she was her normal, awesome self. Tawania Clark put in another fantastic uh, performance at Nationals uh, right up there in terms of competing for the Paul Ruse Medal for Best and Fairest. They had a, a couple of good young players come through the ranks, and I was really particularly impressed with Bailey Hurtado, who is good at the aerial balls. She's good at the, at, at the picking up the crumbs off the ground as well. And she's got, a, brings a fair bit of speed to complement uh, Clark through the middle of the ground. Um, they're also going to get Tara Silky back who took uh 2017 off a good defender uh she's a former soccer goalie as well in uh, in college uh, so she she's fairly rangy she has a good booming kick out of the out of the defensive side of things and of course they, they have a, a number of their veterans coming back caitlin masher mace is coming back for another season anna thaxton who really it's like well what does she do in the midfield all she does is is, is really lead and and provide a key link up into the forward line i think they're going to have maybe another year where they're they're at the top and they're still able to compete they do have a number of players who aren't coming back but they are recruiting well and uh we'll we'll have to see how they go but uh, it's it's very very dangerous to think that denver isn't gonna isn't going to be around in the top because every time Every time you seem to do that, or every time anybody seems to do that, they prove you wrong. So um, depending on how the group shakes out that they happen to be in in Racine, we should see them in the in the grand final again this year. The Los Angeles Dragons uh, played in Division Two at the Nationals in San Diego, essentially in their backyard uh, last year, a three and one record, thanks to teaming up with players from Arizona, Des Moines, and uh, San Francisco's reserves. I-, I guess the key question around Los Angeles this year is: the second year of a club is always the hardest. Everything brand new, people want to jump on board. Can they, in that second year, find the new players, create that growth? Because they seem to have that core of nine. Can they get themselves to 16 or 18 and start pushing to become a full standalone team? Well, the one thing that that uh, Leilani Silvio did did admit to me is that uh, it is, in fact, very difficult to recruit in Los Angeles. Not necessarily getting people to be interested, but the but you know to be able to commit to to coming to the trainings and 
uh, L.A. is so spread out and so congested that they've run into issues with that where, you know, players just weren't able to commit, which is a shame because, you you know, they they had they had a full side. that looked like commit early in the season. And unfortunately, you know, even though Nationals was only you know, right down the road from them an hour and a half, they could only coax, you know, eight or nine players to come to, to come there. But, but, but looking at the roster itself and looking at who they picked up, I've been very impressed with Yui Kawakatsu, uh, a very, very good midfielder, very quick, very dangerous and has some offensive chops as well. And, uh, Ryan Bartz was another one. And uh, uh, Lonnie and the rest of the of the Dragons are very high uh, on them. Uh, Silvio, of course, coming off an amazing year with the Liberty and uh, very big offensive punch for them. Um, and uh, Eileen Yoon as well provided it. Lauren Sullivan is probably one of the strongest players in the league, and I think because she's on a Division Two side, you know that gets overlooked. Um, you know, the recruiting hurdle is going to be, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they overcome that. They'll probably be in Division Two again this year. But I think once things get settled in a little bit and if they're able to to get that, of course, uh, you know, we can't overlook the fact that, that they're getting Katrina Scherer uh, and, uh, and Katie Ann, who, who had a, a good opening year. Uh, the fact that they're getting a talent like Katrina Scherer to play for them, I think, is going to help that innumerably, not only on the field, but also off of it, I think if they can utilize some of her recruiting skills, uh, then they should at least be set for another year or two. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how how they go this year. But they are still a very competitive bunch, and I think whoever they're paired with is going to be very competitive when we get the racing. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see where Katrina Shearer does play because they actually do have a ruck there at uh, the Dragons, whereas they didn't have a ruck in the Gillaroo, so uh, Katrina had to play that role. Not having to be the ruck, it'll be interesting to see if they throw on a wing, if they throw in the midfield, throw up forward, where a utility like Katrina Shearer could fit in that Dragon side. I, I would put her in the forward line, Peter. I really would. I think she's got the offensive skills to do it, and I think you know she's taller than most of the, of the women who play in the USAFL. Throw on the forward line, make her a tall target, and you know, at the very least, draw some attention to her, and that'll open up the rest of the forwards as well for players like Yunin Kawakatsu. For the Portland Sockeyes, again, reigning Division Two champions, I guess a couple of questions for them uh, throughout the local season and regional campaign. How will they go without Jessica Blecker, who, of course, is playing for Keelor in Melbourne? And uh, the other question is, can they finally get those numbers to tip them over the 18 line so they can field a Division 1 team? Because I think a few of the Division 2 teams have been kind of quietly pleading, can you please go up the Division 1? <laughs> yeah, and I think Heather Serpico told me that that is their goal this year, is that they would love to play up in Division 1, and they deserve it. As you said, Peter, I think this is, you know, last year, I think they've, they've kind of said they're, you know, they've stated with their play that they're far and away the best in division two. And considering the fact that they've been a part of the last of, of the last three division two national championships in one form or another, um, how are they going to go without Blecker? I think that, you know, they're going to miss her, but at the same time, look at the talent they have. Simone Shepard for mine is the best player in the USAFL hands down. She can do just about 
everything you would ask of her. She's a Swiss Army knife. Uh, she does a little bit of everything, and if you ask her really nicely, she'll open your bottle of wine for you. But um, you know, Lucy Parrington, them picking her up last year, I think was was a breath of fresh air. Uh, Holly Petrie, who uh, came through Shepherd's uh, association with the the Gridiron team in Portland, um, she had a fantastic tournament. That was her really her first big uh, exposure in footy, and and boy, she made the most of it. She's a she's a quarterback for the Gridiron team, and she really added a a, a new uh, full leadership dimension to that to the middle of the ground for them. And then uh, they have two players also with gridiron experience that are also very strong in um, in uh, Oana Dimitriescu, uh, as well as uh, one of the other linebackers that they have that they brought over, and and, and Shepard as well. Um, this uh, it, it's a it's a team that has a little bit of everything: speed, strength, and whatnot. They are going to get Blecker uh, for. Uh, back for nationals, so her she should be back in time for October, which would be, uh, you know, w- w- where will she be playing there by the time you know by the time we get to to nationals, uh, and what will her prospects be? I mean, she's she's tearing it up for Keeler right now in the Northern Football League. She kicked a couple of goals on the weekend. Uh, you know, imagine what kind of gem polished gem they're going to get back when she comes back. So, yeah, I think if they make it up into Division One, they. Are going to be a very competitive side. They deserve to play in Division One. It's just a matter of getting the numbers, and I and and if they get there, they're going to make a fair bit of noise. The Sacramento Lady Suns. They've always been that Division One side that's always been hanging around the the bottom two spots of the ladder. I guess the question is, what can they do to improve? Besides just taking New York scalp, which they did two years ago, what can they do to try and pick off whether it be a Seattle or Montreal, whoever they're grouped with? They did actually give a bit of a scare. Um, if I'm correct off the top of my head, I think it might have been Denver. It was one of the sides where they uh, weren't expected to have a close game but gave them a real shake. What can they do to try and get their second Nationals win and maybe even their third immediately after that? Well, uh, the the one place where they had had issues is offensively, and and uh, you know uh, the uh, you look at the, at the players they have. They have uh, Amanda Flock and Christina Flock, who uh, really uh, are I think are kind of overlooked from time to time, but they always play well for the local competition in the in the SAC AFL and and. Uh, and and also for the Suns themselves, I think they had uh, a couple of years ago. They had they had a really good season. They were uh, uh, I, I kind of buried last year under under players like Wynn and and Jessica Smith. But uh, the the thing is is that the play through the midfield has really allowed them to open up going into the forward line. And I think you're going to see them get more scoring this year. Uh, they still have an amazing defense with Mackenzie Carr, uh, Rosemary Clough, who was a rock, has really kind of shown her versatility playing in the fullback for the USA Freedom. And uh, it, 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 you know, their their defense is going to come along. I think their defense is, is still very established. Their offense is going to come along. Uh, I think that's the difference. I think if you can see them open things up and, and put more points on the board, then they'll be able to take that next step. It's still getting there. And, and, and really, Peter, to see where they've come along since the, the, the very beginning, uh, you know, back in 2009, and they were one of those teams where, you know, 
everyone was was scoring you know 50 60 points on them at nationals and they were just happy to get a single behind they've come a long way from that point and uh they're they're still preparing to take that next step it's going to come it's been a slow process uh brad anderson is back in charge of them as coach so um yeah it'll be uh it'll be good to see how they go the San Francisco Iron Maidens, the reigning champions. I'm willing to put my hand up and say I was wrong. I saw their regular season record through the middle of 2017, and I thought, oh, have they got the wobbles? Were they a one-kit wonder? Did they just get Denver at the right time in 2016? And my goodness gracious me, how they wiped everybody off the park at the Nationals in San Diego convincingly coming away with the title. I guess the question is, we were there at their celebrations afterwards where they were actually farewelling four of their players who were leaving the the San Francisco Golden Gate region. We know they have a lot of numbers. Do they have that quality of depth to keep them at the top of the tree? I think they do. And, and uh, you know, one of the players who they were farewelling who actually isn't going anywhere is Meg Leone. And, and that, I think, is the biggest part with uh, – with uh, Brett Brower retiring, uh, you know, Leon, who had, I mean, listen, she had the, she was the third choice rock behind Brower and, and Castanic. And she had to come into that game late against Canada. And then that full game against Great Britain, uh, she had to come in and do that. And of course at national, she was their rock and, and she performed really, really well. Uh, so I think they're going to be fine, especially in that respect. If you look at, at where they are around the ground, Evan English is the best defensive player. Uh, I hesitate to even say she's probably the best defensive player, even, even, outside of the United States, you know, if you look at all the players in the international cup, I would have to say she's definitely in the top two or three. And what's interesting to me is, you know, you, you go back and you watch the weekend and you go back and watch the games in the international cup. How many, uh, uncontested defensive marks she took. It's like she was, she was like playing center field in, in baseball. She always knew where to be. She always came over and took, and took the, you know, the, the, um, she would always come over. She would always range over. She would always find space, take the ball defensively. And more importantly, when she went forward, she knew where to place the footy and knew where her teammates were. So I, I, it, it, you take that, you take the other players like Smolak, who won best and fairest at, at Nationals last year, and Estrada and Maggione and all these other players they have. Marianne Jen played well. They've got a number of players coming up through their seconds teams that uh, last year that are going to compete. Panda Wynn, uh, I think, is one of the best in terms of their, their reserve side that will come up and probably see more minutes in the, in the ones this year. It's really hard for me to think that any of the other teams are going to be able to get up over them this year. And again, as you said, their MO has been to have really two regular seat, you know, the last two years, the regular season, really nothing sticks out at you. But when they when they show up at nationals, they show up to play. And the fact that they only allowed two goals over the course of four games and only and only four scoring shots, I mean, in pool play, that goal against Montreal in the final game was the only was the only score they allowed in the in pool play, and then they got to to the final against Denver, and they held them to just eight points. So um, it's it, it'll I, I it's really hard for me to see anybody else getting up on top of them this year. They are my favorites. They're going to have some challenge. They're going to have uh, you know Denver chasing after them, Seattle, who we'll talk about in a minute. But I, I like the the maidens to 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 bring home a three-peat. 
the side that's just jaw-droppingly awesome. What can you say to the Seattle Grizzlies? When you think about that, in 2016, they sent three players to help Portland in Division Two at the Nationals in Sarasota, Florida. Then to get up a full squad of 21 to come to San Diego the next year, knock off Montreal, just fall short of uh, beating Minnesota. And they're doing well from what I read against Vancouver in the British Columbia AFL. Just the rapid growth in numbers and improvement of women's football in Seattle. Nothing's been seen like it anywhere. And dare I even say the Northern Hemisphere. I think it's even more impressive than what's happening over in AFL London. Uh, I I am under of the opinion, Peter, that in the next year or two, you're going to see them either in the grand final or you're even challenge San Francisco for for the best team in the league with with the talent that they have. And 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 yeah, it's been it's been amazing to see how fast they've come. And, and and most of it was last year. I mean, you know, they had that that base in 2016 with Val Barbara Axelm, uh, with Tegan Hamilton, with a number of other players who they had who came over and um, uh, contributed to the Division Two title alongside Portland. But my goodness gracious, like that's uh, oh my god! I mean, I I like I said, having seen them play last year and and seeing them now, Amelia Carr. You want to talk about a, a, a name for the future? I she I I cannot see her not on the freedom side in 2020. Uh, she is one of the most athletic newcomers that we've seen. Val Barbara Axtom, the, the best on on ground, best on the tour last year for the USA Liberty. She has shown her versatility. Uh, we mentioned Hamilton, Marion Dickinson as well. They've picked up uh, Ellie Summers this year, who is a former uh, Division One soccer player at St. Louis University. I, I mean, April Lewis as well, who won best and fairest at the Western Regionals, uh, who can play in the rock and, and who's uh, good through the middle and a good tall target. They're a dark horse this year, I think. If if Denver doesn't make it or if one of the other teams slip, I think they'll be around, and I think they'll be around for some time. There's a there's a lot of excitement around the entire Seattle club, which, as we mentioned, you know, a couple of years ago, they went from they went from runner up in the men's division one to near oblivion to not only do they have a strong team on the women's side, but also the men who won the division three men's title last year. I, I cannot. I, I'm almost giddy about how they are, as as you are, uh, from from what you've been saying. Uh, and and yeah, I I think they're a dark horse to take to to go really really far this year. So we'll we'll see how it is, but it'll be fun to see how they go over the next couple of seasons. Do, dare I say, is the secret to their success, and it applies to the men as well as the women, that. A, they've only got Portland just a short three-hour trip away if you're driving or taking the train, or you can quickly skip across the border to play two Vancouver sides. Is it because they've got that regular anywhere 14 to an 18-side competition that they can play every second week that it just keeps the interest alive and the skills alive? Oh, I, I, absolutely. I think it helps um, when you're able to play and not just, you know, play against yourself or practice and you have competitive, uh, the competitive juices flowing every week. Yeah, I think it's a great recruiting tool. Um, it's a shame that we don't that, that we don't have that more across the country. But, you know, that's obviously the goal. Um, but, yeah, they're in that unique position where, you know, they've got a, that that competition, in the BCAFL and uh, they've got Portland. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame that they're not playing in the same regionals that Denver is this year, uh, because I'd love to see how the two of them match up. We might have to wait until until October and Racine. And we do know that actually Seattle do have on their cards post-nationals that they'll be playing the Aussie Sparks. So uh, they'll be interested to see how that little scratch match goes. Um, moving on to uh, just looking very, very quickly at some other clubs which do have one or two female players or are trying to get something going. Uh, we know out of Chicago there was a bit of a worry originally because they only had one player. They had an Aussie in Amy McGuinness who ended up um, uh, uh, leaving her job there, and she's now living in Canada. Uh, but I believe they managed to pick up one or two players at Chicago, so that's that's good. It's still alive there. Yeah, they have a number of players who are interested. Uh, Amy is still going to try and stay as involved as she can from from Toronto, which is where her new job is. But um, yeah, they've they've had a fair bit of interest, and um, we'll we'll see how they grow. Uh, of course, they've got some help uh, right up the road in Wisconsin with uh, NAFLA and, and uh, there's a, a, a Jenny Sarbacher as well, who played uh, back in the Milwaukee Bombers when they won the grand final in 2009. Uh, so uh, they, they'll they probably be getting some tutelage from them as well. And then just looking very briefly across uh, down in Oklahoma, they have a half a dozen players to play. Uh, from Tulsa, Oklahoma City, the the Oklahoma Football Club, uh, they've there's been a lot of chatter down there about the fact that uh, they want to be involved when they get to regionals as well. Um, Des Moines uh, last year, they of course had uh, Hannah Bailey to join Emily Rice. Uh, they you know Hannah, as you mentioned on the broadcast uh, when we did uh, the game when they were paired up with Los Angeles, uh, Hannah just decided that that day that she was going to sign up and play and. And that's amazing. She's going to take this season off. She is coming back next year. Uh, Emily has said that they are recruiting very hard to try and bring up, uh, get more women involved in Des Moines. And then um, news just this week of the founding of a uh, of a team, independent women's team in Detroit, uh, the Motor City Muscle. Now, they're not an official USAFL side just yet. They're in their formative stages, but at its heart, Janet Bayersdorf, a former New York Magpie player, long time. Her dad, Rob, was uh, uh, instrumental in the forming of the North Carolina Tigers team. So it's a it's a name that's been around the USAFL a while. And um, Margaret Trujillo, who used to play for Columbus, who's a, uh, a native of Detroit. The two of them are starting up the team in an area which has gone over a decade without any sort of uh, organized Aussie rules. Uh, so that's exciting. There's a, and of course the, the growth across the, across the country, uh, seeing new teams sprout up. We mentioned Dallas and we mentioned uh, uh, Austin a little bit earlier. I think Austin's really ramping up their, uh, their efforts. So yeah, just seeing these new sproutlings across the country, I think is very, very, uh, very encouraging. We also have to mention Atlanta too. Wayne Kraska, who is of course the, the original member, uh, original coach of the, of the USA Freedom uh, they've been focusing a lot on the social game down there, a lot on the, the co-ed, but they've had a, a very encouraging number of women show up. And the hope is in the next two years that they'll that they'll be able to put the Lady Kookaburras back. 
and so yeah very encouraging uh, as much as we talk about the teams yeah it, it's they, they are they are growing across the country and if i think i'm correct i think i saw a few women training with the san diego lions a couple of months ago in part of their early training so particularly that was the yeah. home of the nationals um uh, last season so fingers crossed something comes out of there as well in southern california yeah, yeah. It, it, especially they've got a team right up the coast there. So yeah, they've they've been wanting to get a team going for a bit. So we'll have to see. But yeah, they've they're they want to get more women involved there in San Diego as well. And almost in conclusion, we've always said that San Francisco Iron Maidens was quite possibly the most awesome women's football name going around. But I think they have a new challenger now with that Motor City Muscle. Yeah, I think they're. Uh, yeah, that's a very very good name. Well, Brian, thank you very much again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to uh, catching up with you in a month's time to find out how things are going at the uh, respective regional tournaments. Thanks, Pete. Always a pleasure. And just some important dates to put into your calendar in case you find yourself over in the United States and you want to check out some Aussie Rules action over there. They're big tournaments. First of all, they've got their Eastern Regional Tournament that's played in Philadelphia on June 23rd. Uh, the Central Regional Tournament's played in Nashville on July 14th, and the Western Regional Tournament's played in Sacramento on July 28th. The big one to remember, though, played over two days, is the USAFL Nationals, this year being played in Racine, Wisconsin, on the weekend of October 13th and 14th. That concludes Women's Australian Rules Football for yet another week. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much for your company. Don't forget to tune in to our RSN Carnival VFL Women's Match of the Day, Sunday, 2 p.m., as we bring you Collingwood versus Geelong at Olympic Park Oval in Melbourne. Until then, it's bye for now.